Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Um, I'm going to put the condition uh, giggles D6 on you. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I'm so predictable. <laughs> I feel like I'm underselling that D6 at this moment. <laughs> Cue music. And welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I am your host who has just stepped down his D10 injured back trait to a D8 injured back trait, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda, trying to think of a current condition. Trying Uh, to get rid of that D6 giggles. I am trying to get rid of that D6 giggles. I am also working on, it's not a condition, right? Like I'm I'm working on, on, on skill building right now. Good. Anyway, go. let's just That's, move right that, along. That is not part of our topic. <laughs> no, leveling up. I am trying to level up my okay. skill and scrum. But we're not That's talking we're about doing. leveling up today. What are we talking about? <laughs> we are talking about conditions and agency. So this is going to complete our Michael trifecta of shows in a row, um, which just means that we still have a, a little pile of topics here. But if you have something you want us to talk about, hit us up. Um, these are good ones. We'll keep pawing through things, but, you know, hit us up. We'll tell you how at the end. So today's topic is from Michael, as I said, and it is about frenzy, hunger, rage, or traits, and the Pendragon virtues. Is character agency not equal to player agency, or are they always connected? Yeah, interesting uh, interesting topic. I like it because um, I do want to talk about in a broad sense, right? Building off of Michael's initial question, I want us to talk today about conditions and agency, right? About yeah. player agency, but how they relate to um, all sorts of conditions, right? And we'll define conditions um, in a min- in a minute. Um, but I think before we get into that, I think there were a couple definitions um, that we weren't 100% sure on. So uh, we're going to discuss it here come up with some working definitions for us to use. And then um, from there, uh, we will um, kind of build our discussions. Yeah. So I think we have a pretty good idea of what player agency is. I was going to say, can I do player agency really quick? Do player agency, because we know that one. Okay, so player agency is how much autonomy does a player have to make the decisions of how your character acts feels and um well acts and feels right i think that's the two right like typically um most games assign a large amount of player agency meaning that you get to make your decisions about your character you get to make um decisions what they do what they think what conclusions they come to um you don't actually get to make decisions about what you see and hear because that's transmitted to you by the gm yeah um but how you what how what you do with that information um is your player agency yes okay yep cool character agency is where we got a little confused um so when we were talking about a pre-show character agency i thought was maybe like how much agency do you have um about the things that happen um to your character right um 
Because when we look at like, for instance, frenzy, hunger and rage, which are, um, as I recall, their world of darkness um, conditions, if I remember correctly, rage is werewolf and frenzy or maybe backwards. I forget. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to call out real quick because for the purposes of this conversation, I think I should be clear. I, I haven't played World of Darkness, nor have I played Pendragon. So I don't have a lot of context on these two very specific games that were called out in the topic. Um, so I think we're, we are going to end up broadening it a little bit. Past we are. I'm gonna. That, I'm just gonna help you really quick. Um, yeah, just, just that. Just, I just want to lay that out there because I don't want to uh, set the wrong expectation in terms of my knowledge level. Yeah. So, um, right. So, these are definitely world of darkness terms, and they kind of, um, in the case of, um, if I'm getting these right, and feel free, I haven't played World of Darkness in forever, so don't yell at me. But rage. Um, is your um, kind of like anger level as a werewolf. Um, and frenzy is like the manifestation um, in vampire, like when the beast takes over your personality, um, which is typically a function of in vampire, you have run out of blood. You need to feed in order to uh, survive. And you will do like the beast takes over and you will feed like a beast. Ideally, in your vampire game and in your character's vampire life, you would like to feed in a kind of controlled manner, right? Yeah. Maybe when and where, pick your prey, decide if you want to, you know, kill or just take a little off the top kind of thing. But when you have reached frenzy, these are not options for you, yeah. right? Um, and I think when we talk about that in terms of character agency, it gets into this messy thing with what is character agency versus what is character agency, if not um, player agency. Right. Yes. But I think, I think that is it exactly. Right. But I think it's this kind of thing where it says, like, you now have this condition and it has effects on what your character can and can't do. But as soon as you say that you are now overlapping with player agency. Player agency. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Which is why, um, which is why we kind of got into this idea of conditions and agency because it, it kind of spans more than just world of darkness games. And I don't think we have a great definition of character agency. Um, I mean, I think part of the reason that we don't have a great definition of character agency or that we're struggling to come up with it is part of this question, right? Which is does a character have agency on their own outside of player agency? Or is there a way that we could define agency on a character level separate from the player playing them? And with the amount of thought I've given it at this moment, not saying that somebody couldn't argue me out of it, I have to actually kind of say, I don't, I don't think so. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Right. Because when, because when we, you know, when we were talking about agency, we're talking about who gets to make decisions and for sure these conditions infringe upon this, right? These they, conditions. They put boundaries around what a player can decide to do with their character. They, uh, they force I, something. I, I think it's even more than force, right? Like, it's not like if you frenzy, it's not like, can I, you know, like, do I have to attack this person? Like, it's no, you have to feed on this person kind of thing. It's not like I'm going to run past this person and go somewhere else. It becomes, um, it can be like, it can become a little more, um, controlling than that. But anyway, um, without a good definition of, of character 
agency. We're going to broaden this topic out to be about conditions and player agency. That is um, the balance of um, portraying your character with whatever condition, and we'll talk about conditions in a moment, whatever condition your player has um, versus the decisions you would maybe want to make as a player. Uh, because sometimes conditions that you pick up will constrain you to act in a way that is not how you want to act for your character. Yes. And and then we can talk about the balance of those two things. Yeah. Okay. But I think, can we just, can we wrap that, the just that real quick conversation up? Because I think you sure. said something earlier that I want to call out about it, which is that a character is a construct and doesn't actually have um, intelligence or agency separate from the player. And I think that's why we are struggling specifically with character agency, because in the end, yeah. they just, they didn't have any agency to begin with. Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. But if that isn't the definition that we should be working with, let us know. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I'm just jotting some notes for later in the discussion. Sure. Okay, excellent. Cool. I got it. I just had a thing that I wanted to not forget. Okay. All right. So player agency, we talked about the decisions to make. Let's talk about conditions, right? Yes. Conditions are mechanical constructs that get placed onto characters, player characters or NPCs that um, can have both mechanical and narrative constraints, right? So you can take a condition and maybe that condition just imposes a minus two penalty to all your roles. Yeah. Right. That's 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 a condition. Right. And different games will express that with different terminology. But that is so in that case, that would be a strictly mechanical condition. I have this condition. I'm minus two to everything right now. Yes. Maybe it's called dazed. Right. Or exhausted or something like that. A condition could have a narrative effect like maybe you are angry. Yeah. Right. Like fate has aspects. Um, and fate, ha fate has conditions. Cortex has something similar in conditions. So maybe you are, maybe you are angry. And now narratively, your character is upset, right? And then yeah. a lot of times these can double up where you can have both a mechanical um, effect along with a narrative effect. So like in Cortex, if you are angry D8, Right. And you're in the middle of a negotiation. I can, as the GM, take your D8 and put it in my die pool. Yes. Mechanically, I am using your anger against you. Right. Yes. You are um, unable to keep yourself under control. There's a better chance I'm going to steer this debate conversation or whatever to my advantage. Yes. Okay. All right. So that's that's the thing. And so the mechanical part there really isn't too much agency over that, right? Like if the rules say that you have a minus two to your action or I get to put a D8 in my die pool, well, that's what I do. And, yeah, and that's what it. happens to you, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's the other piece where when narratively these things happen, they start to impact player agency. Right. right. So, for instance, the ever classic um, uh, charm person. Hate. 
Everybody hates charm person, right? I think um, we have a way in our backlog somewhere. We have an episode that is specifically about mind control spells and stuff and if and how you can use them without completely screwing you on player agency. But they're they're not very fun because player agency is a huge problem, right? Sure. Like I remember one time my character in D&D got hit with prismatic spray. Right. Right. And, you know, like went bonkers like i believe the actual effect is insane right? yeah i had a uh, i had a brush with a chaos orb and i didn't get to control my character for about an hour and a half of combat oh, right nobody I kept, likes it. kept failing the saving throw every time it was my turn it sucked yep <laughs> so yes so sometimes conditions will um limit your um, player agency, right? Yes. Sometimes it's very, um, uh, sometimes it's because something has physically happened to your character. So for instance, if you have received the condition broken leg. Yeah. Right. You're probably not going to be able to run. Correct. Or maybe right. you can't drive a car because you broke your right leg. Right. Right. Because now how are you going to use the pedals or maybe you're going to use your left. But now there's going to be some sort of penalty because you're driving like really weird. Yeah, um, Unless you're Harry Dresden, apparently, and then you can get stabbed through the leg and then still somehow drive a, a manual transmission. But it's magical, actually. <laughs> um, I know I couldn't when I broke my ankle, my left ankle as a teenager. But, you know, I'm no Harry Dresden. All right. So the mechanical ones like. The mechanical ones make sense, um, but they do um, they do cut into your agency, because if you wanted to drive away and suddenly I'm like, well, you have a broken leg. How are you even getting to the car? Yep. Right. Yeah. Like, well, I'm hopping, I'm walking or or how broken is it? Right. Because hairline fractures are different, different than like a full clean break. Yep. That kind of thing. Um, you know. If I have a broken leg, can I move at full speed? Like logically, yeah. no, you can't. No. Um, and other games might mechanically define that, but some games might not. Yeah. Um, so that's fine. I think the other, the trickier part is when we get to, um, when we get to the kind of conditions that have um, social and other kind of narrative impacts, right? Yeah. So angry, for instance, um, angry is a state that you could be in, but it also requires you, right? If you're playing true to your character, angry also requires you to be angry. And to justify that in character. Yes. Like how does this, or I, I don't know if- What does that done, look like? Manifest. For your character. Can we use manifest yeah. instead manifest? of justify? Sure. How sure. does that yeah. manifest in your character? Sure. And, and in fact- and in fact, we get to the question of, um, does it need to, which yeah. I'm going to say is a loaded answer because I my answer for this is yes. <laughs> um, but there are a lot of people who will play with conditions that don't necessarily act out their conditions. Yeah. Right. They'll take a condition, but then they'll just be like, yeah, yeah, I'm angry. Right. And then they like they just kind of keep playing. Yeah. Um. Other players will will um, grasp onto that, yes. right? And will, you know, raise their voice or snap at a friend at the table or something because they are angry. Yeah. 
So I think this gets into um, what is the, let's start with the player side. What is the responsibility of a player who has taken on a condition in a game? Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to say one thing before I get into this, because what I can speak to is partially potentially true and also partially potentially preference and also partially potentially um, the culture of the table you play at. That's a lot right? of partial potentialies. I know, right? And <laughs> I didn't break that down for I me. Couldn't, I couldn't come up with more words that started with P to make them all alliterative just on the fly like that. What kind of a magical girl am I? So the first part is my preference, right? Partially, potentially my preference. There we go. Um, I personally, <laughs> now I'm noticing all my peas. Can't, I can't miss it either. <laughs> um, so like my personal preference, damn it, is that um, I like to play that kind of thing out at the table because I like those mechanical um, moments to be justified in the narrative, right? Or to manifest in the narrative. I think both of those words work in that particular scenario. I want to see that actually happen and impact more than just the mechanics and the roles. How does it actually impact how the story plays out, right? So for me, my, my preference is that it gets played out at the table. And I think it's I think it's fair to say because I want to help define your preference. Yeah, um, you are very much a person um, who does not go out of their way to protect their character. No, <laughs> like if 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 a if a condition was to create an immediate problem for you, um, it's fair to say that many times you will relish the additional complication in the middle of the story. Yes. Okay. Yes, right? Like, and, and that is part of it, right? That's part of the preference thing. Now, the second part of that is as a table culture, that is the mode of play that I have also been playing with both my particular group for the longest. That that is all of our preferences jointly, right? What yes. was the third one that I said that didn't start with a P? Oh, I don't know. It got I got so excited about the confused by the <laughs> multiple P's <laughs> that I lost it. Me too. I can't remember. Just roll um, with what you got. Sure. I I will say I'm going to make up a different third one on the fly, there you which go. is um I think sometimes the game will require mechanically that you play that out in the narrative and sometimes it doesn't and just sort of leaves it up to you whether you do or not right like there are some games that hinge on you taking that action as a player taking responsibility to play it out and some that are like whether you play it out or not it's going to have a mechanical effect so we don't care right yeah and I, i'll bring up one really quick where um it kind of has to happen whether you like it or not, right? Because what it does is it loops back into the mechanics, which is the conditions and masks. Yes. So when you take a condition and masks, it is an emotional condition and it comes with a mechanical penalty because um, you take like a minus two to um, several moves, but you can't get rid of it. Yes. Until you act it. it out at the table. Yes. I love that. Right. I, love, I do too, it's actually. Great right? game. And that is exactly as what I was talking about in terms of like requiring you to play it out at the table is necessary yes. for the gameplay versus, you know, if you're in D D, 
and you're, you know, taking a minus two or you're rolling at a disadvantage you're or something like that. Right? You're, you're exhausted, you're, sure. But like whether or not you choose to act exhausted at the table does not have an impact on the dice mechanic. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, and people can correct us if we're wrong, we're not sitting around with 5e rule books, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't tell you like you have to talk for the rest of the scene in a kind of breathy As voice. As if you're exhausted, yeah. Or, you, or that, you need to, that you need to go take a short, a short rest or long rest or something like that, right? I yeah. think it just says like you have taken some, you, you are exhausted, you have taken a mechanical penalty. Yes. Correct me if we're wrong. We're, you know, we're no, by no means, we're not playing any D&D right now, so we don't really know. But we're, you know, based on previous editions, it was like that. Yeah, and that, and that is exactly how I played it in previous sure. editions, right? Like it didn't, yep. it didn't impact my play of my character. It only impacted what I rolled. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I am with you that I think... Um, first of all, I think all of those factors are true, right? I think part of it is your play preference. Um, and that is, um, how comfortable are you putting your character into danger? Yeah. Um, you know, if you are playing a game, um, well, let's just, I'll leave it at that, right? Like how comfortable are you as a player? When I was younger, I was definitely not comfortable. Yes. Right. I did not do a great job of things like this because I was not comfortable with that. As I've grown older in the in play, as I've played more and I've grown older, I am more comfortable putting my character into danger. Um, in part because of the second thing you said, which is our table culture yes. finds predicaments to be more interesting than death. Yes. Right. Killing a like showing weakness as a character. If if the end result is my character is going to get killed, then yeah. no, I don't want do to. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't want to do that. Yes. Um, but if I play at a table where the table culture is, um, there are more interesting things to do than to kill your character. Right. Yes. Then. I am now curious. So I would like to play to find out what happens. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Like what? Like, like, yeah, like, what kind like, of trouble are we going to get into? Yeah, like, what happens <laughs> if I'm angry during this drug deal? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. What interesting <laughs> shit could go down? I would like to find out. I want to know too. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, I also, um, to some extent, right, as a player preference, um, I do like to act a bit as my character. I'm, I don't think I'm super great at it. I think I'm, I think I'm okay embodying characters right i'm so much of a gm so many times that i don't really deeply embody characters a lot um so i like to do that i don't know if i'm great at it but if i'm exhausted i you know and there's no narrative um component to this i will still kind of act out like at the end of the fight like whew like Oh, I got to sit down. Like, you know, like, oh, that was a thing, right? Like, I'm going to yeah. sit down, catch my breath, something like that. So um, I agree with you, right? I think that there is a, um, I think that component is true. I think the culture, I think the trick with the culture is um, it will help you to play those things out if you know you are safe to play those things out. Yes. If I am a vengeful GM, a 1980s killer GM, um, Oh my God, my there's got to be a song like Killer GM. Da, 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 da. Sure. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> um, if I am a killer GM, then my table is less likely to want to show weakness, right? Yes. Because I will yep. kill you. 
Yeah. Um, and that's not like to me, that's not fun. Um, it is so not I, my, my, it's not my play preference. Correct. Either. It's not my play preference to me. It's not fun for me. Um, I would rather make more interesting stories. And so I will go find something more interesting to do, like capture you or let this drug deal go bad and kidnap a loved one, something like to, you know, you will, you will pay for this consequence, right? Oh yeah. There will be consequences, consequences for this consequence, but, um, Death can often just be boring. Okay. Right. Well, the consequences will move the story forward or make it more challenging. They won't just end your involvement. Correct. And yeah. the last part, the mechanical reinforcement is tricky because um, some games do a good job of this. Masks, I think, is probably the best one I've ever seen in terms really of one. Yeah. taking an emotional trait and um, giving you a short list of things you could do to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, and you can get rid of it in the um, like in the middle of the scene or you can get rid of it in later scenes. But like there's a list and you got to do something that's going to make that happen. Um, I referenced this many times, but in my um, masks game with Sneezak, um, I got um, I was angry in a fight and I went home after the fight and I got into an argument with my parents. I walked out the door and kicked my mom's car across the lawn. Yeah. Um, which was awesome, right? It was like, <laughs> I need to get rid of this condition. And it says like lash out at something. So I punted her car into the tree across the lawn. Yeah. Um, nobody got hurt, right? Like I just, but I needed to lash out, right? And of course there were consequences because. Absolutely there were. <laughs> Your mom would be pissed. I'd be well, pissed. I did not live at, I did not live at home for a little while. That yeah. was part of, that was that the was fallout the from kicking her car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so back to my original question, which was, what is the res what is the responsibility of a player? I I think it is. I think that a player should play out their consequences. Um, I don't necessarily think you have to go over the top, but I think you need to be true to the spirit of those consequences. Like if you are a frenzied vampire. Um, a, I don't need you to act that out at the table, right? I don't need you to jump up at the table and cause a disruption. Yeah. And I don't necessarily need an overly graphic description of what happens, um, to, to, um, to feed right in that moment as you are the beast. But I need you as a player to be like, well, I frenzied. So, um, I just, you know, I step onto that city bus and just bite the person in the first row or yeah. the driver or whatever. Yes. And all hell breaks loose because there's nothing I can do about it. Yep. Because um, this is happening, right? Yes. Um, so I do think that a player has a responsibility to embody it to the spirit of what that condition means. And for the purposes of, um, oh no, I've just lost the words, but for the purposes of like, um, the congruent nature of the story, right. To make everything keep making sense. Sure. Absolutely. All, also, you've got to balance in there, right. Safety. Yes. Um, if, especially if we're talking about like world of darkness games, right. Yep, you need yep, to balance yep, yep, yep. in safety with safety, that. Safety, lines um, of veils, all of those li things. Exactly. Right. Like, you, like you can't, you know embody it but also maintain your safety boundaries and all of that stuff um yeah you the player are not 
experiencing frenzy. So you are still responsible for all of the same things that you were responsible before your character was. Correct. So yeah. let's let's talk about a personal example. Sure. Um, let's let's go to our um, long live the queen game. <laughs> yeah. Um, where our um, our spy. Yep. Our sexy kind of spy, Aveline, um, often um, gets information out of um, targets by seducing them. Is that a fair is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's a pretty fair statement. <laughs> sure. There, there have been more than one time Aveline has gotten information um, from a target um, either before or after um, some sort of sexual encounter. Realistically, if you think about the current TikTok stereotype of the bard, just like trying to seduce everything, like seducing the, the fucking dragon, right? Like, that is basically my character, except that I'm really successful at it. Yeah, it well, actually you're not a works. bard. Yes. I'm not a bard, A. I have like my best stat there. And um, just to be like absolutely clear, um, I forgot what I was going to say. God damn it. <laughs> What's going oh, on with you? D6 giggles. I'm telling you, it's a problem. Uh, <laughs> I'm having a really extra ADHD I will say day that today. there's a certain amount of safety. There's been a certain amount of, there's a certain <laughs> amount of safety that's all wrapped around that game that allows that to happen in a very safe way. Right. Um, and um, what I, what I, the reason I bring this up yes. is because um, when you roll hitches, Yes. Um, and it doesn't always happen, <laughs> but one of the more common, um, one of the more common negative things that happens to your character when you roll hitches and I get to spend plot points to turn them into traits yes. um, is that I will make you have feelings. Boy, I catch a lot of feelings. Right. I make you have feelings for the target. Yeah. Which, which is then, really conflicting for whatever I'm trying to do. Correct. <laughs> Right. It yes. makes later roles harder because you start to like these people. Right. Right. Because maybe it wasn't just business. Right. Maybe it was wasn't just the job. Exactly. Maybe I actually like them, too. And then I'm conflicted between what I was trying to do and using them or yes. actually liking them. Yeah. We actually there is a long um, there is a long asset um there's an operation for you to cultivate two assets, a couple, a power couple in Paris. Yes. And I'm pretty sure now you have, I have feelings, feelings for, for both, both of them. them. I mean, this has been ongoing for months. Yes. It was inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to roll some ones. And it logically makes sense to the structure of the story that that is the kind of challenge or conflict that could arise from getting some hitches in those roles. Yeah, because the problem is you you are going to have to leverage them at some point, right? There's an ultimate goal where you need access to yep. a certain um, to a. All right, so not to get too deep into this, but <laughs> sure. this couple um, they run the cell phone company Opal that operates in our um, our 16th century futuristic Paris. Yes. Um, they are they are um they're native to the timeline but they made friends with the time traveling company and they are now the face of this cell cell phone company and so the operation was to turn them into assets because um your spy group wants to be able to plant some hardware so that they can snoop on phones yes they want to plant hardware in the opal in the um, network itself. In the Opal network. Yeah. So the long con was 
you need to cultivate these people as assets so that you can get access to this facility to ultimately plant this hardware device. Yep. Um, this custom board that's going to get stuck into the network. And the problem is, is that now over time, you have developed feelings for both these I have people. feelings for them. <laughs> yeah. Now, in Cortex terms, there are things you can do to get rid of those feelings, but you're going to have to go do something to attack that trait. Yeah. Right? That trait is persisting right now. It is stuck on you. Um, and you're going to have to like go talk to a handler or to one of your team members or something in order to scrape that trait off of you. Or... Or I could just not because I, just I just not. like here's and here's part of the 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 player agency and character process. Right. I don't know why she would want to. Well, I mean, it's going to be a conflict. It's conflicting. Of course it is. At, at but, its current level. Yeah. It's probably not a problem. It's pretty, but, pretty manageable. But if as it a got rem- too high. As a reminder, mechanically, if it goes over a D12, you get taken out. Yeah, I know. But they're like sixes, right? right? They're sixes. So at this point, maybe you don't need to do anything about it. Right. So, well, but it it, it is also really interesting what taken out would look like in that scenario, right? It would would be bad. Would you betray the organization? It would be bad. It would be bad. Yeah. So it might be that if it gets up to a D10, you might be like, I got to scrape it back. I I got to go talk to somebody, right? Like I got to get, I got to knock this thing down a few steps. Yeah. Um, All right. So. And I think you've done a good job of that, right? Like you have been like taking them out to places and stuff I've like that. I've been taking them on dates. Yes. And I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like when, like there are times when I ask you when it's time to make the seduction role, like which, <laughs> which trait, trait am is I this using? duty or yeah. is this, you know, like personal, personal, yeah. like which trait <laughs> is it? Because I'm not sure right now. Yeah. Um, and those have mechanical meanings as well in the game, right? right. Our approaches. Right. We so, did create our approaches specifically so that they're driven by what is the driving um, need that's making you do the action. Yeah. yeah. So this is a case where I imposed a mechanical, uh, I imposed a condition on your character. Yes. Right. That that has both a mechanical because I get that D6 yep. and a narrative, right? Because it tells you, you are st- like, I didn't ask you. Would you like to start liking these people? No. I told you, you're developing feelings for this character. Yes. Right? But what you did was, in turn, you embraced it, and you have, and at a D6 level, right? That's not very high. Right, you it's have, manageable. <laughs> you've, you have started to have feelings with towards them in your interactions. Yes. Okay. Um, so, again, I think that is the responsibility of the player. I will flip it over real quick before we wrap this up to talk about the responsibility of this as a GM. Sure. Um, As a GM, if you are the one who gets to control what condition you are putting on, right? Now, in the terms of those World of Darkness things, those are not GM negotiable, right? There are mechanical countdowns that basically trigger those things and they happen. Right. But in Cortex, in Fate, um, those kinds of things where I can buy up those ones to stick something onto it. Um, I think that there is also a responsibility to GM to pick things that are interesting. Yes. Right? Like if if I want you to embody this, right? Yeah, pick something It's going to be a lot easier if I pick something that we as the table all think is interesting. Yes. Right. Catching feelings for your target 
is interesting. I could have put something like they're suspicious of you. Right. Which is. Which isn't. It isn't. It's not interesting. Interesting. Right. Like it still would make things challenging for me in a different way. Um, It's a different tone of story. Yeah. And it's and it's less on me to take that on. Yes. Than it is on you to take that on. Yeah. I mean, there are ways to make that come up and there are ways to act it out. And if we weren't playing a sexy spy game, <laughs> suspicion is probably the the trait right. I would have put on you. The more but logical. Because, right. Yeah. But because we are playing this. Um, it's a genre choice. Yeah. Yes. I played to the genre. Yes. Right. The genre is now the spy who has feelings um, for their target. So as a GM, I do think that you have a responsibility to um, make things interesting, follow the genre, right? Like follow what the narrative dictates, right? Like if the narrative, you know, if the narrative is telling you a certain thing, that is a good way to go, um, those kinds of things. And, And I think when those two things are done together, right, is where I think Um, this becomes very playable because if I start putting up interesting things, things that we all think would be interesting to see played out at the table, you will be inclined to, um, act them out. Yeah. And you will be inclined to play that out because that seems interesting to all of us. Yes. If I give you something that's dry or flat, or if I give you something that's boring, um, like maybe you hooked up with them and I took the ones and I gave you a cold. Yeah. Yeah. Why? <laughs> like, yeah. did you see the look on your face? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like suspicion. You were like, no, I could play that. I could do that. But I mean, but it would be I, more like, on you to play it than Sure. Me, but if but I like, just give you like a head cold because you like, hooked up with them, you're like the look on your face, your nose scrunched up. You were like, oh, what would I do with that? Yeah. What would I do with that? Like, exactly. Well, right. There's nothing there's interesting nothing about that. There. Yeah. Um, so I do think that there is a responsibility on the GM side. I want to bring up, um, cause we talked about it a little, um, the terrible topic of mind control. Yeah. And I, we, like you said, we've done a whole episode on it. I hate mind control stuff in games. Um, but I will mention one place where I thought it was brilliantly done, which was there is a DCC adventure called, um, the one who watches below. And in the final scene of the thing, this um, hideous eye creature um, comes up out of this pit in the ground. Um, and if you fail your saving throw, um, you are you are mind controlled by the creature. But the mechanics for it were brilliant. In, and in the adventure, it says um, every turn, the player every turn because in in that game it's a it's a based on on third edition right so there's an action economy you know sure. there's a move and an and an you know and, and another action right move and attack or whatever sure. um every turn the player gets to pick one of those two actions and the gm gets to pick the other one uh yeah so you haven't lost complete autonomy C- correct so for instance um you know i was like you know i you know like i in my head i'm like I'm going to take a swing at one of the other characters. But that player on his turn ran his character away from everyone. Yeah. Like, oh, God. (laughs) Like he ran 30 feet off in another direction. And it was like, oh, well, I can't actually. You took the swing at nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it was like it was a really good way um, to manage the agency because it was like, look, I'm going to attack something. 
right? But the player is like, well, I'm like, A, I'll decide what you attack. I will move myself. Like if there had been another monster in the room, he could have run up to the monster. But I just for a game where one could have easily just been like, you are mind controlled. The GM will tell you what happens. I thought it was a really neat way to handle it, which was we're going to split your action economy and you get to pick which action you want to be in charge of. Yeah, I think that's I'm just really smart. And it just like, and it, the end result is that that character, you're still, uh, you know, achieving what you wanted for that character, which is they're acting very erratically. They're acting erratically, but not in a way that made them feel helpless. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I, and I thought it was just a really, really um it was a re- it was it was just a lot of fun. It was actually a lot of fun when it played out of the table because a couple characters failed their roles and it was amusing to watch them have to figure out what to do. Yeah. In order not to harm themselves or anyone else. Right. And it just so. it changes the challenge that they're confronting. Yeah. 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 Okay. We're we're almost we're at the end of time here. So oh, goodness. So um, let are. me see if I can sum up really quickly. Sure. Right. Conditions are definitely things. So conditions are definitely things that can impact player agency, uh, depending on their narrative constraints. And from the player side, um, it affects your preference for the game. It's influenced by your table culture and it's influenced by the mechanics that kind of surround the acquisition and removal of those conditions. And as a player, we think you have a responsibility to embody the spirit of that condition um, while also maintaining safety and all of those things. Yeah. And as a GM, you have, if you're in, if you're in the place where you can name the conditions, you have a responsibility to make it interesting, genre conforming, um, and to just do something that's going to make the story uh, just better. Yes. By by putting it on the table. Yeah. Sound good? Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. Cool. Michael, thank you. Um, please, by all means, correct us on the character agency thing. Uh, we might come back with a totally new episode on the same topic with a yes. better understanding of character agency. Um, but hopefully we did your topic justice and hopefully we talked um, a little about the fine balancing act between um, player agency and conditions today. So, Senda, please tell me about another show on the on the Misdirected Mark Network. Look by the look on your face. I'll nope, vamp I got it. just a second more for you to change windows. Cool. Yeah. Um, tell us about that. And then we'll get on to the conclusion of our show. Sure. Um, on the Gnomecast, you can hear several gnomes from Gnomes Do get together to talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and avoid being thrown in the stew pot. There's there's been a lot of stew pot back and forth i am unclear on which stew pot if there's a trap door if the trap door is sealed up i have no idea i don't know if we can get out anymore so basically that's be, rough be entertained that is rough yeah cool say senda there's one place on the internet you can go to uh, find us in all our many spaces what is that place yeah misdirectedmark.com slash panda Panda. It has all the places you can find us both as a show and individually. And once you find us in one of those places that is your favorite, what can they do with that information? 
Uh, by all means, like Michael has been doing, um, leave us questions, ideas, topics, suggestions, um, whatever's on your mind, role-playing wise, let us put our vast knowledges, our decades of playing, GMing, game design, and gaming advice to work for you. Our ultimately, our ultimate goal here is as it has always been, which is to let you have or help you have more fun, better games, um, because we want you to stay in the hobby longer. We just do. We like you here. So stick around. We'll yep. help you do it. Yep. Uh, if you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, um, you can hit us up at uh, misdirectedmark.com slash no, 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 no. You can hit us up at patreon.com slash MMP. <laughs> Patrons get access to the Slack Room for Life. Um, there are many fine people talking about whole bunches of things. And um, there are many, many uh rooms or channels for you to go chat in um, anything from gaming to cooking etc um, at the different tiers of our patreon you can get access to some of our design docs you can get access to some of our setting docs there's a bunch of stuff in there but really just getting into that slack room is really kind of a um, I think it's fun I like the people that are there so come join us and have some cool chats and stuff like that um, if you're already backing our patreon campaign fantastic um, if you are Unable to back our Patreon campaign, we understand. Um, but there is a thing you can do. It helps us immensely, um, especially um, in the day and age where there's so many other podcasts out there. We need to shine a bit and we need you to help shine for us. Senda, what's the thing that people can do to help us out? Well, you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice, or you can just let a friend know uh, if it sounds like the kind of show that they would be into. Uh, I don't know if we're still there. haven't checked it in a little bit, but I did get an email that we were rated the top queer gaming podcast on somebody's top 10 list for 2024. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Um, I hope we're just like alphabetical. Like, on, like I feel like there are, it's I'll not, say this, though, I feel like there are other queer Panda? gamers out there. Oh, are, there are. You know, that, oh, I mean, of course there are. There but were some like other really cool shows on that list. Yes, I feel like clear. some people are just, you know, I don't know. People are probably like, sleeping on those shows. Yeah, really yeah. Go, go check out the rest of the list. Like, it's interesting <laughs> we're there. Well, I mean, we have to go find the list, right? Like, it, it's, yeah. I don't, I, again, I don't think this is like a top of the internet list. Somebody made a list. <laughs> I was excited I appreciate by it. anybody who put us at the top of any <laughs> list for starters, but by all means, like go listen to more queer gamer podcasts. Yes. Anyway. Cool. Onward. Go ahead. Cool. Yes. Oh, is it still me? No, I said I my know. bit. Okay. Uh, you said your bit. I'll yeah, say yeah, my yeah, bit. Yeah. <laughs> Reviews. Yeah. Hooray. Yay. Thank you. Reviews and mention us on social media. Yeah. Cool. Uh, say send up. Yes. Um, what action can we take to get rid of this D6 giggles from your... Uh, <laughs> This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. And I'm rolling, 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 rolling. I'll be rolling, 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 rolling. Oh, I was saying like, rolling, rolling, rolling. No, come on, 1999, Limp Biscuit. Wasn't that in like one of the Feifel Goes West like 
something I mean, about I'm fiber. sure I don't actually. There were mice. There were cats. I don't think I watched a lot of the Fightful movies. I think I was, by the time you, those came out, I think I was old enough to be like, no. I mean, that's fair. I was young enough that like, I think I only saw one of them and I only sort of remember it. Bloop. And to be clear, that's not like at some point in my teen years, I was like too cool for um, animation because I was 17, I think. 16 or 17 when The Little Mermaid came out and I did and it was my suggestion to go take my girlfriend at the time to go see it in the theater. Like I feel really young right now. Yes, I, I could you, drive a car when The Little you Mermaid You could drive came a car out. and I first saw The Little Mermaid on VHS at my uncle's house when there was some sort of family thing going on and I was getting antsy so they put it on for me and I'd never seen it before and I was left alone to watch it and... I still don't think I've actually seen the end of it because I've never owned it, even though I was then obsessed with the soundtrack because the witch scared me so much that I never watched the rest of it ever again, even though uh, I then li- made my parents listen to the soundtrack on repeat. Legit fair. Um, yeah. I was a, um, I loved The Little Mermaid. Loved it. By the way, 1989, by the way. Um, okay, so I, mean, I was. So I was like seven. So I was 17. I was 17. I had a car. Yes, you were 17. I definitely took my girlfriend on a date at the time to go see The Little Mermaid. I once Um, saw Beauty and the Beast with my grandmother. Like that's that's sort of my equivalent. I was a lot older for Beauty and the Beast. Like when they brought those back. I took my then girlfriend to go see Beauty and the Beast. Right, good. Um, And until Moana, my favorite Disney movie of all time was... Do you remember Aladdin? Aladdin. Fucking love Aladdin. I still love <laughs> Aladdin to this day. I we used to when I was in college, we would um, quick check and see if our, our door to our suite was unlocked. And yeah. if it was, I would slightly open it and then I would kick the door in and be like, Prince Ali, Ali. <laughs> like, I just, like, you know, the, you know the part I'm talking about? Like, I do. Yeah. I, I have just, seen it a lot. I would just Beauty kick and my, the door Beauty in. and the Beast was my favorite of that set. Um, but yeah, Moana is definitely my absolute faves. Bloop. Let's just also say that the end of Aladdin had a, um, unbeknownst <laughs> to me, added puzzle pieces <laughs> to the great puzzle of my psyche. sexuality. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you're interested in that, there's a book you should probably read called Desperate Measures, but like, don't say I didn't warn you about the five spicy peppers. Let's just say, let's just say <laughs> we that should just move along it was here. a, it was a, it was a cornerstone moment for me <laughs> in terms of like, I don't think it was just you. Like, I think no, there's no. a lot of people who had that experience that uh, Disney just opened their eyes completely accidentally it, to it, a thing that they were interested sure. in. It wasn't my first opening. It was more like confirmatory for yes. that. We have to go back to, um, Batgirl from Batman 66. If you really want to, <laughs> you really want to understand my origin story. You got to go watch Batgirl and Batman 66. And then you'll be like, like Jet um, said in, uh, like Jet said in that one episode of Cowboy Bebop. Oh, you're one of those girls. <laughs> <laughs> I need to anyway, find that clip we, so bad. <laughs> I just can't remember the, I know the episode premise, but I can't figure out which one it is. 
it's the one where Faye goes to, I forget what planet it is. I want to say it's Jupiter or something, but Faye goes to this planet and she meets this person who's like a singer or something, but they really have like a secret identity. And then they wind up betraying Faye and leaving her tied up in the room. And that's when Jet finds her. Yeah. I gotta no, I go rem- find it. Yeah. Anyway. All right. That's enough for Ryan. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Hi, Ryan. You can put all of this in the bamboo lounge. Yeah. Feel free to just take this piece and tack it on to the end piece. Well, it's good. It's fine. Something. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, let's get started. Um, I'm I'm sitting reasonably well, but who knows how long I can stay in this position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And bumping this mic could be dangerous. By the way, I have moved the keyboard um, away from my direct reach. Away from you. No hitting the space bar by accident. I think I'm okay. And as long as we don't bump the fucking mic, should be fine. Bump the fucking mic. Okay. Do you need a new one as as the like person Uh, who currently has the purse strings of the misdirected mark network? I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. I don't think it's I don't think it's fussy. Oh, I I should say, I think it's a little sensitive, but I don't think it's like broken or anything. I think it's just, um, it's been forever. If you go and read the reviews on this mic, they, they all say the same thing that over time, this USB port gets a little jiggly. But I have had this mic for, um, I've had this mic for like seven or eight years now. So yeah. Anyway, let's proceed. We'll talk about that off mics. Okay. Let's, um, let's sync up. Are you ready? Yes. I'll do a little, let me do a little blank space so that Ryan can find this easily. Bloop. I always end up like doing the seconds count with my head. I'm like, tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock, tick. I was singing the Prince Ali song in my head. <laughs> Strong as Sometimes. 10 regular men. <laughs> Check it in, see. Sometimes whenever any. the galloping hordes. Sorry. A hundred bad guys with swords. <laughs> See, anytime I think of any of the Aladdin songs, whenever they get randomly stuck in my ADHD brain, because as I recently learned, internal echolalia is a thing. Um, So whenever it's an Aladdin song that's playing in my head at any given moment, I always think of you because I know that it's your favorite. Oh, I love it so much. I really do just like, oh, why am I singing Aladdin? Oh, it's Phil's favorite. (laughs) This is my advisor, Jafar. He's, He's ecstatic as well. (laughs) (laughs) it's been a long time anyway anyway all right um let's get started are you ready (laughs) yep boom boom (laughs) boom 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 (laughs) 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 it had just been better if you sneezed i couldn't quite sneeze it just got itchy Okay, eight fifty. Um, eight fifty. I'm sure Ryan will find the giant pause in the in the audio. That's why I just stopped talking. Bloop. Maybe it's a D eight giggles. <laughs> Show me know. what you got. Just Show rolled another one. Apparently. Show me what you got. Show, Show me what, what you got. got. Ah, ah, ah. 